This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Hi, guys. How are you? Are you enjoying your week? I know you're driving. I hope, hopefully you're smiling. Come on, smile. Let me just feel it. Are you smiling now? Let's do it. Let's just try to have a good day. Let's have a freaking good day. Thanks for uh, making me part of your day. Ryan Tejas is here with me. I am here with you today. And um, I'm not, I, not I, even I, in spirit. I, what? Not I'm, even in spirit. I'm no, here in no, person. You're, you're here in person. I'm here. And that's good. Yeah. That's nice. Um, I like having you. Uh, you have a good week? Yeah. Yeah. You did. I mean, think, yeah. Yeah, you have a good Thanksgiving? It's great. It was wonderful. great. You love the family? Loved it. I love it's your wonderful. family. I don't know them, but I love them. <laughs> I love them too. Yes. I did love you, them too. <laughs> I love them too. Did you have a nice Thanksgiving? I did. It was nice to have friends over and uh, you know, just we all sit around and we all say what we're thankful for. And I think it's important. You know, I used to think hokey, campy, cheesy. Mm-hmm. You know, and then when you sit around and you say, Hey, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for my patrons. I'm thankful for to have a job. I'm thankful for having Ryan here. I'm thankful for it makes it just something to the brain. It's science. People have talked about this doctors and everything, but there's something about being grateful and, and saying your your gratitudes that help. We've talked about this in the podcast before, but I'm I'm grateful for all of you guys. Um so hopefully you had a great Thanksgiving. We're gearing up for Christmas, the Hanukkah season. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like it. I like the weather. I like a little chilly outside, don't you? Yeah, it's nice. It is. It's, yeah. uh, I, I like to go shopping. Yeah, I like. Uh, I like. I like sporting the little hoodie. Yeah, around. a little it's hoodie, nice. a little flannel. Just like a little. Just like a yeah. little, little cozy. That's right. That's what I like to do. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for supporting it. Ryan, tell them how they could follow us. The hand, What are the handles on Instagram and Facebook? They are at Inside of You Pod on Twitter and at Inside of You Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. There you go. So you could follow us. You could listen to us. You could listen. Uh, you could watch us on YouTube. Please subscribe. Uh, if you're here for Nick Frost, if you're a fan of Nick Frost, I hope you'll stay around and listen to other episodes. I think you'll enjoy it. I think you'll get something from them. I really do believe that. So hopefully you'll uh, you'll join me. And thanks to all the patrons who give back to the podcast. You can go to patreon.com slash inside of you. And you could give to the podcast more and keep this thing running. Thanks, Cumulus. Happy holidays. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Bryce. Thanks, Jason, my editor. Um, today, we have a great guest, Nick Frost. Uh, I, I am a big fan of Nick Frost um, and you know his his partner in crime, Simon Pegg. They've done mm-hmm. a lot of movies together, mm-hmm. Shaun of the Dead, and uh, the list goes on. But um, you know, he's he really has a great story. He has a book that's out, and um, he he speaks from the heart. It's not like some actor just telling you like, "Here's my story." This is a guy who, you know, had some tough times and he opens up about it. He opens up about his sister dying. And uh, Nick, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you opening up and being so damn humble and sweet. And I think a lot of people are going to get a lot from this podcast today. So without further ado, let's get inside of the great Nick Frost. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. What is it? Uh, that's uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. That is. Indeed. 
That's so indie. Go ride, oh, lovely. Yeah, isn't that nice? Do you have any toys at your house, Nick? Do you have any toys? No, you know what? I don't have anything at all. Like nothing from any job I've ever done. Like when you go to Simon's house, it's like a museum of peg. <laughs> but like I literally have got nothing of any. Oh, I, t- and I found like an old post of it. Tintin poster that Steven Spielberg signed the other day. I was like, oh, maybe I'll keep that. Oh, you had Steven Spielberg sign your Tintin poster? Yes, it was one of the big ones you get at the premieres when you walk in. Someone got got that and someone signed it all. And it was in an office that I'd forgotten about. And they said, oh, do you still want to keep this? I was like, yeah. So that's the only thing you have. All the movies you've done, all the big actors you've worked with, you don't keep anything. You don't really care about that stuff. No, I never... No, no, I don't, I don't not care, but, uh, you know, I have to, I have to weigh up. Is it, is it just going to be stuck in a fucking cupboard for a year? And if it is, then I probably don't need it. I got, I'll tell you why I've got, when I was like 16 and like, I had no money and I used to go around, what do they call them in, in the States? Like we call them charity shops, but you call them, Oh, thrift store. Thrift stores. Thrift store. Thrift stores. So I used to go walking around thrift stores with the aim of finding like a first edition novel and then being able to sell it and like eating. Really? <laughs> and one one day I found the a first edition novelization of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. <laughs> so Spielberg wrote it as a novel. Why well, didn't know that? Um, Oh, my God. It's amazing. The dust jacket's pristine. And then when I got to do Tintin with him, I brought that with me to Los Angeles, and I got him to sign it. And he was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. I've never seen anything. He saw two of them. Wow. Did you get starstruck? Have you you read that book? I haven't read it, but I've seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Okay, so you know the big organ they play at the end to communicate? Da, 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 da. So in the book, it explains that the only place in the world that the Secret Service could get a synthesizer uh, advanced enough was off of Stevie Wonder. (laughs) There's like a whole fucking scene where the FBI turn up at Stevie Wonder's house. (laughs) Like in the book. No, come on. Honest to God. They go to Stevie Wonder's house. Yeah, and they like commission, like they... They kind of they say, listen, we can't tell you what it's for, but we need one of your synthesizers. Does it take you out of the book? Does it kind of like is it kind of goofy or it works? It, it made it better. I wish Stevie Wonder had been in the film. <laughs> now that's one of your favorite films, right? Close Encounters. Uh, yeah, I fucking I love it. I love it. I mean, I could. It's, uh, I watch bits of it now. I find the end. There's like a bit at the end before the very end that kind of lags when they're running up Devil's Tower and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're spraying that sleeping gas on the birds <laughs> or whatever it is. That that kind of lags a bit for me now. But no. I remember, like, my auntie Melanie, who's a vampire. Uh, <laughs> she Wait, wait, wait. She's lived... a vampire? What do you mean she's a vampire? Well, she's never aged. It's really weird. <laughs> and she never comes out in the day. Right. Uh, she just <laughs> gets up at, like, six in the evening. And then sits up all night drinking tea and smoking and then is in bed all, all day. She's probably in her 70s, but she looks she looks like Kate Bush. <laughs> Kate 
Kate Bush. But she lives in a place in Wales that used to have um, an American airbase. And so she used to date all the American service guys. And uh, she was dating this guy, and he got us onto the base. What are those things called in base? They're called PXs or, like, they're like shops that you can buy American food in. Right, I know like what you're talking Like, in Wales. So for, that, that was the first time I ever ate a pizza. Like, he got us onto the base, and we ate pizza. How old were you? And then, uh, like, 10, 11. Right, right. And then one afternoon, we were at my auntie's house, and he came around with, like, a massive videotape, and it was Close Encounters. And so he, like, put it on, and we all sat and watched Close Encounters on VHS. So it's kind of a special memory. It's a special movie, because that's, like, one of the first movies you probably yeah, saw. Can, we yeah. had pizza, I mean, too. You know, you know what films like in television, it has that kind of amazing... I find it with old photographs too, you know, it, that's how we can time travel as humans, you know, cause it, we can't physically travel, but you can, I can feel how I fucking felt when I was 10, you know, it's, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. Me and Simon, we, when we did Paul, we hired a massive RV and we drove the whole route that the guys drive in the film. Right. And it took us like eight, nine days, you know, we drove from, LA to Vegas and then to area 51 and up through Utah. And, and it was an amazing journey, but the whole point was we got to devil's tower and then we walked around the tower with the soundtrack on our iPods. And, uh, <laughs> and so it took us like seven days to get there. And like an hour before we arrived in devil's tower, he and I ended up having like a big argument. And then we ended up walking around devil's tower on our own. Oh, that fucking way for that. I wonder what the argument was about. That's what interests me. Do you remember? Oh, my God. It was just shit. I mean, we haven't... What do we argue? I remember us... We've had, probably had two uh, two really big arguments. I remember we, we shared a bed for, like, ages, for, like, a year. You shared a flat together. You slept in the we, same bed, you and Simon Yes, Peck. yeah, we did. And uh, one night, we were, we were chatting you know, before we fell asleep. And I was kind of craw I crawled down the bed on all fours. And he thought it would be funny to kick me off the bed. And it just went really badly wrong. It just <laughs> and we just we had a massive argument. And then we kind of went we went to bed back to back and just fell asleep like that. <laughs> oh my God. Just pouting. Not even looking at one another. My who usually starts it? Who usually provokes the other the most? Well, we're different. See, he, I don't know. I'm different now being a 50-year-old man. I've had to let a lot of those resentments go, you know. Right. But when we were much younger, it was, you know, I guess, uh, I don't know. Simon's very clever. He's very good at arguing. <laughs> he's not always right, but he's good at arguing. Do you know what I mean? Right. So it can be quite, quite frustrating arguing with Simon because it's like I'm not going to fucking win this so I might as well just shut the fuck up you know uh, the late Carrie Fisher I was friends with her name drop but she used to be, <laughs> she, she used to be married to Paul Simon and she said they would get in these vicious arguments together and he would say some of the most brilliant fucked up distorted clever th things during their argument that she would say 
I'll be right back and go in the other room and write them down. Yeah. Cause she couldn't believe what he was saying. So she would write those clever. Uh, yeah. I thought that was pretty amazing. So it's one of those things where he's just really clever and you're like, fuck, I can't win with this. Fuck fuck. You. Yeah, exactly. You know, you and I met in a, at a convention in Australia. Yeah. Right. Do you, do you go to a lot of the conventions and how do you like them? Um, well, I haven't been, I mean, cause of COVID that's kind of shut that part down for, for the time being. Yeah. Um, I really, I've got to say, I mean, in theory, I should fucking hate going to conventions and, and meeting people and smiling. And Well, know, why is that? Why is that? Are you an introvert, you, you feel? I am, yeah. I'm, uh, I've got ADHD, so I find it difficult to get out, to leave the fucking house sometimes, you know. Um, kind of lots of weird anxieties and, you know, but, but. I, I I really like it. I really like doing it. You know, it doesn't, it never really feels like work. I mean, I, I know you get tired and you get paid for it and stuff like that. And you can never, I mean, as, as you, I mean, you, you've done, a, you're really professional at these things. You're always lovely to everyone, you know, and that's, I think that's the key to make everyone feel like they are special for that minute, two minutes. That, that, that. Right. Also, I'm really aware that, that they potentially, pay a load of money just to come and see you and to have a photograph. And, you know, I, I, I'm always aware that that's a, that's a factor, you know. Right. Because some people turn up, they want fucking 10 pictures and loads of things signed, you know, a cricket bat, and it's like, dude, it's like 400 bucks. It's poor you. <laughs> do, you uh, do you do that thing where you kind of give, oh, go on, have this one, have that one, you know, I'm, I'm terrible like that. Oh, yeah. If someone comes in and goes, oh, I don't have any money. I'm like, just pick something. Just fucking grab something. Yeah. Now yeah. everybody yeah. that's listening is going to go, I don't have any money. I, and <laughs> Yeah. That's but a- there's a lot. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of amazing that in terms of my fan base, wherever I've gone in the world to do a Comic-Con, the kind of people are always the same. <laughs> like you know how? what I mean? It's, they're all exactly the same person. And I kind of like that continuity. There's something... Uh, like watching Close Encounters, I know how it works. Right, right. The, it's sort of like the same fans. Like, you know, you have that fan base. People, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, The World's End, Paul, that kind of that kind of feel yeah. to it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the, the genre geek. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I mean, I think they get a sense from the stuff we do. And it's, 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 I mean, it's correct in a certain aspect. But we, I mean, that was us. I mean, we are fans. We are fans of the genre and... You know, I love Close Encounters and science fiction and Star Wars and Star Trek. And, you know, it's, I, I like it all. So it's, I get it. I understand, you know. Inside of You is brought to you by Rocket Money. I love Rocket Money. You know why? Because everyone should have Rocket Money because it just helps you save money. How many times do we have subscriptions that we don't even know we have anymore and we're paying so much money? It's just throwing away money, Ryan. I I found one. You and you did it. You told I me I got found, Rocket Money. Like I, I found one. It. I'm embarrassed to say how long it's been going on, but thank you for finding it. <laughs> My God, it was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you want to watch some show and you go, I have to subscribe to this uh, this streaming dev- uh, whatever, mm-hmm. and you you start streaming the show, you watch it, you leave, and you forget. After this trial period, it kicks in and they're charging you 10 bucks a month. It is embarrassing. You know, 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. 
before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had, you know, like, oh, I have like five subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for like four extra uh, between, you know, streaming advices and fitness apps, delivery services. It's never ending. And thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. I like that. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's 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 like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash inside. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Now you were saying, you know, you suffer from ADD. I, you know, I, I, I deal with the same stuff. I've, I've dealt with yes. it my whole life. I get overwhelmed very easily. What, what is it that do you, have you dealt with depression your whole life and anxiety and things like that? And, and what, what do you do for it? Yeah, look, I mean, <clears throat> I think it's only really in the last kind of three. Look, I mean, uh, I think I... Sorry, I'm trying to think of a, 
a nice, you know, look, it, I think it's from the age of like 16, I just suffered a lot of trauma until I was 40, you know, literally, uh, you know, violence and death and people dying and fucking cancer and alcoholism and, and addiction and just, just, and I got very good at just <laughs> laughing and smiling and let's do another joke. Yeah. Um, you know, let's, let's just, let's keep going. Let's just, it'll be fine. You know, and you kind of get, you kind of get good at pushing it down and ignoring it, you know, um, not realizing that it, it's, it doesn't, for me, it, it didn't go away. Yeah. You know, it just built up and built up and built up. And then, you know, it, it got to a point a few years ago. It's like, I, I don't think I can, I don't think I can live like this anymore as a, as a human. I just, it just felt like I'd been through so much that, um, I did, there was no, you know, I just felt there wasn't a human shouldn't suffer that much. Yeah. <laughs> so I decided to do something about it, you know, and that, that was, I never realized I had ADHD until three years ago, you know, ADD and, um, you know, getting that diagnosed, I was like, okay, that, that makes a lot of sense in terms of the way I react to noises and pressure. And I, you know, I'm not good at, I'm not good with people or, you know, I work well under pressure. I need, lists i need a you know i can't deviate from a plan i you know i try to control everything and you know even now like today it's, i'll get up at fucking 3 a.m and make a cake and then i'll drink 10 coffees and go and paint for an hour and then the kids get you know it's like i do feel superhuman with it but there, there's there comes a very uh very dark side to that too you know yeah what do you what do you do with that because i i, I deal with that too where I'm just overwhelmed. I can't, you know, when you say you have a plan, you have to stick to that plan. When somebody goes, well, what if we do this? I'm like, that gives me anxiety. Wait a minute. You're talking yeah. about changing the plan up. So how do you deal yeah. with that? It's like, you know, I take, you know, I take something, but uh, is it something that, you know, you have to work on or be conscious of? And then. Uh, would yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, this is all part of my issue in terms of, you know, there's an element there of, 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 of control that I need to feel safe, you know. Um, but part of part of, of of me not being so sad and and self destructive and and is about letting letting go and trusting that. All right, you know. Let's see. I haven't got the answers, so let's just see how it plays out because it it affects everyone around me. You know, it's also I'm also aware. Again, into that weird loop, I'm aware that it's really unattractive and ugly to be fucking sad all the time and to be depressed and to want to control things and want to make people do what I want to do. And, oh, oh, don't do it like this. You'll be better. You'll be happier if you do this. If you, if you listen to what I say, you'll be happy and then I'll be happy. You know, it's, yeah. it's tiring for people. It's exhausting. For my partner, for my lady. It, it's, it's, it costs me uh, a marriage, you know, and it's, I, you, you, I, I become very aware that it's, it's really fucking ugly and it's really hard to live with. And then that, of course, triggers off, why are you with me? Why are you, you know, and, and, and that's when, you know, as, as a, you know, someone who has depression and, and other bits and pieces going on upstairs, it's, it's, you then start to trigger yourself. And that's when, 
you know, you can really fuck yourself up. Yeah. And you don't drink anymore, right? I don't know. I don't do anything. I mean, I haven't drunk for eight for ages, really. Um, I just, you know what? I mean, literally every big fight or argument I've ever had with a partner, girlfriend has been because we've been pissed, you know? And it just got to a point, it's like, I just don't, I don't need it. You know, my mom and sister both died of alcoholism. So I'm aware that it's there. It's in my family, you know? So it was like, fuck that. I don't need it, you know? Yeah, you know. Because it's, it's that thing is, you know, and I can recognise that thing in myself where because of, I, I, I don't mean to sound like a dick, but because obviously I've achieved a certain level of success on the TV, you're kind of well known. I'm kind of well known over here, so I tend to to not drink in the evenings. So I'd go and be in the pub at one in the afternoon, you know, and then I'd sit there until six or seven. And then when people started to come in, then I'd leave. But then you'd be leaving with eight cans of Budweiser and a bottle of wine, and you know, you'd finish that, and you think, "Oh, what have I got in that cupboard?" You know what I mean? It just was never enough. Right. And I think at that point you start to think. Okay, I see. I see what's happening. I see what's happening here. Yeah, I mean, look, most people write a book, a, a book, a memoir when they're like Betty Davis, when they're in their seventies yeah, right. or their eighties, right? But I was like, this guy must have lived a fucking life if he's writing a book. You have the memoir that came out a couple of years ago, Truths, Half Truths, and Little White Lies, and you you get into yeah. it all. But what what prompted that? Did you feel like fuck? I've lived. I've got a lot to tell. Maybe I could help someone. What was the reason behind it? Um, yeah, I mean, I just got approached by uh, by the publishers say, "Did you want to? <laughs> did you want to do one?" And I wasn't. Um, I never really thought about it, but I, you know, I think I, I lost my parents. Like, I lost my mum when I was like thirty five, and I lost my dad like twelve years ago, like seven years after my mum. And I was really aware that there were portions of my life. Uh, that I had lost forever now because I could never ask them. They they were gone, and I think there was a regret that there were things that I sh that I didn't ask as a, as a kid because you don't you just don't ask your parents. Yeah, what is that? You never. What, I, I don't feel comfortable. At, yeah, of? what you know? I just never did it. And then there were things, and now I mean, I, I'm not. I don't really. I'm not bothered anymore by it. But I was like, okay, so maybe. If I could write down stuff and stuff that my kids could read when they're like older and they're like, oh, I kind of get a sense of who dad was, and not just an idiot who did films that we were too young to watch, you know? Right, right. But it was also quite a, what I kind of liked about, about Hannah, who published the book, is she didn't want it to be celebrity. I just didn't want it to be, uh, I kind of, you know, I kind of hate that thing. Well, I'm in a very, uh, I'm always aware that the job we do, puts us in a very kind of uh, a bracket where I, I hate seeing celebrities moaning about you know crocodile shoes that are too tight or they are fucking jet lagged because they just got off a private plane or, <laughs> you know I just think boo fucking who yeah so you want so to, I didn't yeah. want it to be that you know and so I just wrote up until I was 30 so I didn't even do any any of the getting on TV or doing Shaun of the Dead, you know. And I just wanted to, you know, I thought if... And, uh, I, I do get a lot of DMs from people to say, 
hey, I read your book and it, it helped, you know, because it talks about depression, it talks about grief and loss and, you know, I just think Western culture is so shit at dealing with death still. Shit. Like, it's a big fucking surprise and, you know, I mean, my kids, I've got a newborn and a three-year-old and a ten-year-old and Jeez. I will be... I heard of something like ages, years ago, it's kind of stuck with me, like some guy, some like war chief from the, you know, some amazing tribe said that like the point of being a father is to prepare your children for the fact that one day you're going to die. And I was like, oh, shit, I kind of get that, you know. Right. And so there's, I mean, it's difficult to do now (laughs) in our kind of society, but. You know, I talk about death a lot with my son, not in a weird kind of creepy, frightening way, but just like, yeah, this is how it is. This is this is part of it, you know. Right. So they're very aware. The kids. I mean, you you, you talk to them. Are you? Do you feel like you're pretty open? Like, was your father when you were growing up? Was your father open? Because my father wasn't open at all. I didn't know anything about him. I still don't know anything about him. And so sometimes, you know, that's just that old school, traditional sort of like, you don't need to know about me. You don't need to be my friend. You know, I'm going to put a roof over your head and that's fucking it. I mean, you know, how was your father? My, look, well, my old man was, you know, he, he was, he was, he was an amazing man. You know, he, he, I think he had a lot of trouble with, he was a very funny man. He was a great cook. Um, him and my mum were quite romantic and affectionate to one another. Wow. Um, I'd watch them dance sometimes in the kitchen, which was amazing. And um, but but you know he had a my my mum had a terrible drink problem, so I could see him start to have to cope with that too. And I thought that 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 was quite something, you know. And then my dad, he, he was a, a, he was a really, really clever man. He kind of self-taught himself to be like a, he was an amazing artist and stuff. And he started working at a company where he upholstered office furniture. Right. And he worked his way all the way to the top to become general manager after 20 years. Just, just an incredible man, you know, but he was working with a guy who was the boss of the company who fucking drove a Ferrari and had a massive house. And, you know, I think my dad was looking at him and thinking, why, why haven't I got this? You know, we were doing pretty good, but it wasn't this guy, you know, this guy owned the company. So everything that we sold, he sold was going to him essentially. And I think he, I I was like 14, 15, 16 at this point. And he decided that he would go it, on his own, um, which which now as a fifty year old I look back and I think, hey, first of all it was fucking brave and and B, you're an idiot, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> yeah. he had no capital, you right. know, he had to put our house up against the shit he bought to make chairs, you know, right. And so one thing led to another, and that company collapsed, and and with the collapse of that company. Excuse me. It meant that uh, people from a bank came, and they took our car, and they <sighs> moved us outside of our house. How old they, are you? How old are you at this point? I was fifteen. My God! And they changed the locks 
on the house and that was it. We had nothing. And he 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 changed, you know, he had he had I mean, I literally then it was I didn't see him smile for fucking ten years. I'd never seen my old man cry. And then that's all I saw him do for I mean, for months, literally for months, you know. I think there was a big thing with him and his generation where he could not do what was imperative for a man to do, and that was right. to look after your family, to support and provide, you know. And he never got over that, and he never, he was never the same again, you know. Oh, that's got to be devastating. And we got rehoused, you know, the council rehoused us and stuff like that, but it was just, he, it broke him, you know, it really broke him, but you know, 10 years after, 20 years after that, you know, when he was, my mum saw him through that period of years, 10 years, literally, when he couldn't get fucking dressed and he walked the dog for eight hours a day collecting golf balls and selling them to a driving range. You know, that was his job. That's what he did. And my mum saw him through that, you know. But at the same time, wasn't then, she? wasn't she drinking at the same time, though? Yeah, God, yeah, but you know, she was, she was a powerful working class Welsh fucking firebrand, functional and alcoholic, you, like a functional alcoholic. She could function. She could yeah, get shit done. Yeah, I mean, you didn't talk about her drinking. You didn't mention it. You know, that's what it's what we do. <laughs> you know, oh. this is how it is on a sun. You know, right. But then it got to a point where my mum was in a. 50 probably when she suddenly became a very old woman you know she looked like a fucking eight-year-old and then he he got her through the next 10 years you know they then flipped flipped their jobs right and i you know i remember i think i remember fucking hating my dad for years and my mum you know because i was i was saying to him what you know what are you why don't you get up? Why are you crying? You know, I was really mad at that, you know. That, yeah. I was really sad and mad at it. Uh, you know, and then to see him flip and then he, you know, he was like a, it was amazing. It was an amazing thing to see, you know, like essentially, I don't know, just watch, it must be hard to watch your, the love of your life kill herself over 10 years, 20, 30 years and, just sit and facilitate it and you know yeah I, hard. you know what's funny is i don't know this is not not funny but you know i would have i would have <laughs> uh loved to have seen my father cry once to show but, some emotion to so, show some vulnerability as a child it was just always you get caught drinking you're going to a halfway house you do this you're out of the house this is the way it is i never drank i never did anything and all of a sudden it wasn't until my 20s when I went to my dad's old dentist, and I was like, God, did my dad ever drink? Did he ever? Your dad was fucking doing coke. He was fucking <laughs> trashed. He was wiggling his dick out at everybody. He was, you know, all this shit that I found out about my dad later. And I'm like, why did you lie to me? Why are you like this superhero? Um, yeah. You know, and he, I, you know, he, I, I don't, I forgive him, but, you know, at the same time, I would have loved to have seen some vulnerability. I would have loved to have seen some more nurturing caring loving yeah and you you got to see probably too much of that in the other direction yeah i mean look the the flip side was once my mum passed away he 
I felt like he became free. I mean, obviously, he was very sad. Right. And it was awful, but he, he gained a certain level of freedom, you know. And uh, I, my, uh, my dad only lived for another eight years after my mum died. He died really early, too. But, but in, that, in those eight years, you know, he, he fell in love. He found a new lady who oh. was amazing, an amazing woman. And, you know, he, he, he got his shit back. He was an, art, he was an amazing artist, amazing watercolorist. And uh, he got it. He started. He did it again. I hadn't seen him pick up a paintbrush for 25 years. And he started again. And I could see him, you know, I think that's probably why when my old man died, it was, that was the fucking last thing for me in terms of, the straw that broke the camel's mind, you know, right. it was like, okay, so I just got my fucking best friend back and I've had him for five, six years and now he's got fucking lung cancer. It's like, dude, you know, yeah, it was too much. Do you think a lot of the art stuff that you do now, I look on Instagram and the beautiful art that you do and the cooking, it's all from the folks, right? It's, you get that from your mom and dad. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just, um, I think it's a real, I, I don't know, there's, you see a lot of people in our job who are fucking terribly, who sh- are terrible show-offs, you know what I mean? Right. And I'm not, I'm like, oh my God, sit down, shut up, or <laughs> there's a particular, I can't say, but there's a particular YouTube clip of this actor, and he's on like a talk show, and all of a sudden he's like doing a selection of dances and impressions, and I'm like, oh my God, like I can't not watch it, but at the same time I... <laughs> I just hate it so much. It's like, are you desperate? You're desperate for coverage. But so I've never felt that, you know. Right. But in the kitchen, I can, I can fucking, like we had friends around today and I just, I like, an, I made an amazing like plum and almond tart and it's, it's fucking great. It's like, that's, <laughs> that's my chance to show off slightly. You know? Right. So you love, you love cooking. You love art. You love, you're a homebody. You like to be at home. Yeah, I do. Yeah, because I think it's a skill to cook now. I mean, yeah, you know, not. I mean, not that many cook. Obviously, loads of people cook, but it's not. It's not. I mean, it's not massive that people can sit and cook, but you know, a di- dinner every every night of the week, or you know. So I think I'm kind of proud that there's a, and I, you know, my ten year old does stuff in the kitchen too. It's like I think that's a real good skill to have, you know. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Adidas, Walmart, Nike, Wine.com, Samsung, Lenovo, Sephora, and more and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, it sounds like you had a pretty good childhood, but you, there was a lot of bad luck around you. There was a lot of shit yeah, that happened. Yeah. So it was one of those things where you loved your mom, you loved your dad. He worked hard. They went through some ruts. And I know, you know, I lost my sister uh, two years ago. She she passed away. She was 14 and she was sick her whole <laughs> life. But I know that you lost yeah. your sister when you were 10 years old and she was she was 18. And that had to be yeah. just, I mean, to tear a family apart, that's that. How did you? How did that happen? I mean, she had an asthma attack. Yeah, she did. She was um, she was a, an amazing singer and songwriter, and she was just about because she was from my dad's first marriage. So when my dad and her mum got divorced, they went and lived in New Zealand, and uh, so she was kind of about to break over there, you know. And uh, she did a gig one night, and she came back and. And she just was on her own and started to have a massive asthma attack and just never couldn't, you know, couldn't alert people and and passed away, you know. And uh, it was just, uh, it's one of those, it was one of those things that I can't sit in a room now without the television on. Um, it, it, it doesn't have to have any sound on, but the TV has to be on. And that, I think that is a remnant of, of, we were at my auntie Marion's house, staying there when we found when we found out, but having to come down, um, and the TV was off. You know, my mum and dad were just sat just silently. You know, it was like, oh fuck, what's, what is what is it? As a ten year old, I'm like, what is this? What's happening here? You know, Jesus. And so you know, it's a it's a really odd thing because after that, you know, my. My brother Mark died when I was thirty, and then Good God. two years later, my sister Debbie died, and then uh, my mum died two years after that, and then my dad died, and then another brother, uh, Ian, all in the space of ten ten years essentially, and it's you know, I I kind of got really good at the fucking admin of it. The admin of grief, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, well, I feel like this, and we'll do this, and let's book a car for these people, and let, is there a let's phone this florist? And but I never necessarily, I didn't necessarily got to deal with the other bits and pieces of of that, you know. Yeah, you were sort of like almost facilitating, like, okay, this is what we got to do. Someone's got to step up. I'm going to get this. I'm going to go to the florist. Yeah. I'm going to do this, and, and I'm going to keep everything together. Here we go. But inside, keep, you're ripped apart. Yeah, of course. Yeah, keep just keep going forward. <laughs> that oh, was my fuck, that was my thing for so many years. Just keep going. Yeah, well, I mean, you have to. You have to keep going forward. I mean, you stop. You're kind of fucked, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes. In the end, it, yeah. But that was it. Just it just fucking crippled me mentally in the end. It was like it was just too much. Also, because you kind of you get a certain level of success with films you do, and you know you go to work and 
you know, people at work always see the best possible Nick Frost. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I fucking love it. I love being on a set. And I love the focus pullers. And I love the costume guys. And getting my hair cut. And I love it all, you know. Um, I'm, I'm there for literally every lens change. I love watching him do it. You know, I love <laughs> them marking up there. Sure. You know, so to then... And to be fairly, and, and to be successful in doing that job, you know. Yeah. To then have to come home <laughs> or, you know, you have an, people have an assumption that you're a fucking laughing billionaire, you know. Yeah. But it's just not the case. It's like, yeah, you know, you come home and you're, your life is fucked. <laughs> I always say I was sort of like, you know, it's like the clown. You, you're up there you're with a the big smile on your face on set and everybody's like, oh, it's Nick. Oh, it's Rosenbaum. Oh, they're just fucking happy. Look at them. They're so funny. They're doing stand-up. God, these guys are so funny. And you go home and go, I hate myself. Yeah. I fucking hate my life. I, what is that? I mean, yeah. I, I went through years and years of that where I just was like, I give so much to everybody. But when I got home, I was all alone. I always felt like alone. Yeah. 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 I think, yeah. Uh, that's, um, I think that's, it's a really, um, it's really it's really fucking crippling. It's really spirit crushing to give so much, you know. And I think that's also part of uh, 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 the diagnosis that we have as people with ADHD. You know, we're, I think we're people, I'm a people pleaser, you know. Oh, yeah. I never realized that the simplest thing was I, all I needed to do was just to be happy myself. <laughs> and that would make my kids happy and that would make my wife happy. Yeah. Know? I never imagined that that that's how simple it was. I just, even as a fucking 48-year-old man, you know what I mean? Just <laughs> literally smashing doors down to make people happy. And yeah. it never did because they could see inside that I was just fucking lonely and sad. What is it that fixes us? I mean, people like us out there that um, you learn to love yourself. You learn to just say, all right, this is it. This is what I've been given. And I've made a lot of people happy, and I've got to learn to love myself. It's easier said than done. But to be able to oh look God, yourself yeah. in a fucking mirror and go, I fucking love that guy. He's awesome. That's fucking Time hard. for my affirmations. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you do that? Do you do your gratitudes, or do you do things like that? Or yeah, Well, yeah, I mean, I do. I mean, I, I've, uh, I think I've learned a lot over the last three years in terms of me and, and – how destructive I am as a person, you know, and how, how fragile it is too, how fragile I am. And, and it was, and, um, and it, I think you get to a point. I certainly got to a point where someone said to me, uh, like a really young woman, like in her twenties said to me, like, you have suffered enough. You, you don't need to suffer anymore. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, it was like, oh, you my start God, you're crying, so yeah. right. You're so completely right, you know. And I think, I don't know, there's a few a few things. And I think my 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 seven-year-old, he was seven then, but him just kind of sitting next to me and putting a little hand on my arm and, and saying, are you all right, Dad? It's like, fuck, I can't, you know. It's, uh, that's what I live for and, and and work work to try and avoid him ever looking like that again you know yeah how giving yourself you, 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 you have purpose you have purpose yeah he's your purpose yeah. you know 
Oh, fuck, yeah. Children yeah, are your absolutely. purpose. All three of them. Yeah. What All three of the little a-holes. <laughs> All the little bastards. Um, <laughs> did you... What was it that got you into sort of acting and like, you know, just like what, what was it that you felt like I this is what I need. This is what I'm going to gravitate towards or I'm I'm good at this. Am I, am I quick witted? There's something about me that's different that I think I could be successful about this for with this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I no, I mean, I, I was always just a fucking funny idiot at school. You know, um, I was like like a. Uh, I was like a like a weird kind of stunt man. I'd like fall off a wall, or I'd run into a garage door, or I'd do a big stunt on my bike, or and I was cheeky and funny, and you know, just that, that everything you do to try and cover up being lonely as a child, right, uh, and afraid. And but I was funny, you know. I, I lived at when I was like eighteen, nineteen. I lived in Palestine for two years, and I made people laugh and I was good at it and I was a and I was a waiter for years and I was really good at that so I was funny and smart and I made loads of tips and and I never I, honest to god never wanted I never thought about not once did I get to a point of think oh fuck what am I going to do you know I just never I just never thought like that really uh, not that I didn't think I just never thought like that. my parents never pushed me Right. They never said, oh, now you need to go to college or, you know. I left school at six, six, just 16, I'd turn. So, and then went to work at a company, um, like a shipping company selling containers. Um, but I was always the funniest fucker, you know. Right. And I think it was only <laughs> when I was at, at Chiquito's Mexican bar and restaurant that I kind of met Simon and, and, I never realized, I never knew stand-up was a thing. I, I'd never, I mean, I had seen films, but I didn't know what cinema was. Right. You know, I didn't know you could get paid for telling jokes or telling stories or being funny, being an idiot, you know. And so I met Simon and, and we just made each other laugh just all the time. As, you know, it was just, and he said, you, why don't you go try and do some stand-up? And so I thought, yeah, well, fuck it. Let me, yeah, let me, let me do that, you know. <laughs> and I, I did twelve gigs, and uh, six were amazing, and six were like the lowest point of my <laughs> of life. Of course, just, yes. <laughs> I think I'd rather bury my mum again than do some of those gigs. <laughs> they were just really bad, you know. And I did, it just wasn't for me. I just felt like it wasn't. I didn't know what it, you know, I never realized that I just wanted to be great immediately because I can make everyone laugh in the pub yet. Right. I can't do that. I don't know how to do this. <laughs> I didn't realize it was a fair skill. And, you know, you, you, you do it for years before you get good at it. Right. And you didn't want to spend the years with your ADD. You couldn't spend years to get good at it. You're like, I'm not taking this time. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. Um, also, it was like suffering with anxiety of, being around loads of people and it took a lot out of me you know I was yeah. like I'd have a big headache afterwards and I just didn't like it because I was thinking about it all day and I felt like that feeling you get before having going to have a shot you know I was like well oh, I gotta do a fucking gig to, you know I hated it just I feeling like, like you have feeling. to take a shit all the time <laughs> the nerves you have to take a fucking as you called it once a Yankee long you uh, know yes but you know that's just the thing 
I'd, yeah, it's like I'd just been spent the day eating steak and cake and then having to push that out of me. <laughs> and you feel like uh, that all the time, just performing and getting on stage at 11 o'clock at night. I know I've done it too. I did stand up for about, I probably did it for about almost a year. And every time I go, why do you put yourself through this? And then all of a sudden you hear the applause and you're like, because I love that, but I hate everything up to that. I hate everything yeah. up to the point of actually everyone laughing. The whole yeah. day just feels like shit. I'm nervous. Yeah. I have to be great. I, I put too much pressure on myself. But I still have that now before every acting gig I, I've ever done. Um, I do too. I will be up all night shitting myself and being sick and just being fucking frightened of, of, of uh, you know, I think it's changed now, but but now it's about a fear of failure, you know, a fear of not knowing my dialogue and, and fucking the production up and everyone... Hey, you know what I mean? Same fucking thing. Why is it that the older we get, the more we give a shit, the more we're worried about failure? We weren't that worried about failure when we were younger. No, no, no. But I've I've worked with a few actors, really big actors, who come onto the set and and didn't know any dialogue and had to be fed line after line after line and laugh <laughs> throughout and and then just <laughs> went home and I was like, you lucky prick. They just Imagine don't care. Just feeling like that confident and, you know. But yeah, I mean, I just got, after knowing Simon and stuff, we, he wrote a show. He wrote a show with Jessica Hines called Space. Right. He said, I just want you to come and come and be a character. I used to do this character. And he just said, why don't you come and do, come and do this character, you know. And uh, yeah, that was it really. Uh, that was, that was 20 odd years, 22 years ago. So if you never met Simon, what would you be doing right now? I think I would be the area manager of a chain of Mexican restaurants. And you'd probably, probably be okay with it. I'd probably run six restaurants in the Southeast and I'd have like a nice company car. And what's wrong with that? Fuck nothing. Low pressure gig. Right? And you love cooking. Oh my God, yeah. But you met Simon it. and everything fucking changed and you started doing all these movies. Do you obviously Shaun of the Dead was like the first real big one, right? Yeah. Did you have any idea yeah. that that was going to be as much of a success as it was? Um fuck no. No, I've, I don't know. No, not at all. I mean, you know, we we've always to a to a certain extent we've always tried especially the films me and Simon made. Uh, Paul as well and Cuban Fury and and then the ones I did with Edgar and Simon it, it's it was about making our, us laugh and making our mates laugh mm. and and just a group of friends who just wanted to have fun and make a film and have a laugh and you know we love zombie films and now we get a chance to make our own zombie film and we love cop film and now we're making hot fires and I think it was only when when we did the the what the American press tour for Hot Fuzz, I think did we realise how successful Shaun of the Dead had been, you know? Right. Because it was like when we did our tour for we did such massive press tours for these films. You wouldn't do them these days, but like for Shaun of the Dead, we did twenty-eight American cities in thirty-five days or something like that, you know. Wow. And then for Hot Fuzz, we did exactly the same thing. And for World's End, funnily enough. But like when we went to do Shaun of the Dead, we'd come to introduce the screening 
and no one would really clap or would know us and you'd get a few people saying whoa space and <laughs> but then afterwards they'd love the film so people would go bonkers right but it was when we did hot fuzz when we had to go and introduce the film every night the cinemas were fucking rammed and everyone went absolutely mental every time we went to introduce a screening and it was like whoa you know people fucking love Shaun of the Dead Shaun of the Dead one of my favorites I've seen it a hundred times I'm a big I'm a big horror movie fan if you came to my house you'd see Return of the Living Dead Fright Night Evil Dead posters that's just kind of like who I am you know, I yeah, love that stuff. I love it. Yeah. Um, do you think that it's it's sort of like, do you miss that camaraderie that just trying to make each other laugh on set? And then what happens is inadvertently or ultimately you get famous and then people start wanting you in their own projects. But now you're not working with these same people who you live off of and, and, and riff yeah. off of. And does that kind of do you kind of like when you're on another movie set, you're probably like. I want every movie set to be like Shaun of the Dead. I want the jokes to always be coming, and they're not always like that. Yeah, look, I, I'm going to say no. I mean, as much as I, I mean, I love working with Edgar and Simon, and I would be nothing without those films and and, and without the, the chance and, and the gamble that those guys took on me as a performer, you know, never having acted before. You know, I, I, I'm aware that I'd kind of, I'd be, I'd be the area manager of six Chiquitos Mexican restaurants right now. <laughs> right. But, you know, it's it's also when you're friends like that and, and the more films you do, the more money you're given to make the films, the pressure gets more and more and more. So, right. you know, friendships creak. It's difficult, you know. And I, uh, it's, I, I, it's easier to make films without Simon um, because it's like... Uh, I think being being a sidekick, this is like my big chip on my shoulder, being a sidekick and a wingman, it's very difficult to be taken as anything but that for things, you know. And so I think I've spent, I think successfully, the last 10 years or so, trying to move myself away from that. Right. Um, I'm very grateful for it, but... You know, I thought there was potentially, I felt I could do more as a character actor. Um, I felt I had it in me, you know. I didn't want to just have all that fucking death in my life and then not use it. Right. Uh, or use it just to sell kind of little bits of weed to, uh, you know, Ed's friends. Right. So, you know, it's also difficult because it's, we work hard when we did those films. We weren't. There, was, there wasn't much laughing. I mean, it was great to do, and it was fun. And, but you're busting but your ass. It was fucking hard, you know. Yeah. There's, we just worked. We worked, we worked, we worked. Because Edgar, you know, unfortunately, we all shared a similar work ethic in terms of let's fucking get it done. Let's do this, you know. Right. Yes, it was fun. But the rehearsals were always fun because then it was loose and we had time. And, and if something was funny and we all laughed, it would go in. And then that would be the shooting script you'd use. And then... We only ever shot that. We didn't improvise. We didn't, you know. But, you, yeah, I mean, I, I, I also like the fact that Edgar and I and Simon and I have evolved. Our friendships have evolved. And because of that, they, they have survived. And there is, you know, there is, mu there is as much love there now as there was, excuse me, when we were 30. But now it's like... I have three kids. I have a, a partner. We have, right. my, 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 you know, my, it, it, your focus changes. That's just naturally what happens is you get 
as you get older, you know, because mm-hmm. if, if if you if it doesn't, you end up like fucking Simon's character in The World's End. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. What it, what's it like, you know, doing something like Into the Badlands, where you're playing a badass or like playing a character like that? Did you enjoy your experience? And you were in Ireland filming that. Yeah, we were there for two two years on and off. You know, um, I gotta say, me and Daniel Wu, and doing that show with Miles and and now, Al yeah. was the fucking best thing that happened to me. Yeah. I loved that show. I loved shooting it. Um, and the more we did, you know. Because the writers were in the States and we were there, you know, sometimes you'd get the scripts and none of it would match up because it's like the guy that wrote four and five isn't the guy that wrote six and seven. So none of it right. would match. So certainly for the second season, the third season I was in, um, you know, I was getting to do little rewrites and stuff. And I'd go to Al and Miles and Daniel and say, hey, I rewrote this scene. What do you think? And they were like, yeah, boom, let's put it in. And Wow. So Al must have, Al must Al and Miles must really love you to allow you to do that. They're that well, I'm I telling you and they did. Yeah, of course. I, I, it was always, you know, I never it was never I never said I don't I'm never I'm not one of those actors who says I don't like this or I don't think my characters would say this. I always say, "Hey, I'm not sure I said this, but how about this, you know? Right. What, what about this?" or Take it or leave it, you know, just make people aware that you're, you know, you're placing the food chain, you know. Right. And if, it was always good. It was always good and funny and, and touching and, 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 and relevant, you know. Right. And, and I think that's, I, I think that's, a, I think that's something that I really enjoy about my, my career is I, I, I have a voice on everything I do. Yeah, you know, even now doing the nevers, and I'm like number fucking forty on the call sheet. <laughs> I'm still allowed to say, uh, "Hey, can we, can we, you know, can we try this or what about this as an alt or, you know?" Well, that's nice to have very, that freedom where people respect you and know that you're capable of doing that, so they kind of trust you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Also, similarly, there's lots of actors there. You know, there were people on Into the Badlands as, as beautiful as they were, and and they were great at martial arts and acting. They if they didn't like something, they'd just say it, you know, they'd just say the words. It's like, well, you don't have, I mean, you, you you could change it, you know, don't moan about it, change it. Right. This is called you know? shit talking with Nick Frost. It's, it's rapid fire questions. You could answer them, okay. but this is from my lovable patrons. If you want to join Patreon, patreon.com slash inside of you, uh, support the podcast. Uh, Michelle K are the rumors about you being the next doctor who true, also, who is your favorite Doctor Who? Or who gives a shit? Uh, okay, so uh, I have two favorite Doctor Whos. Tom Baker, because he was around when I was, you know, 10, 12. And um, uh, I really love Matt Smith. And, and Capaldi, too. I think those guys were great. Um, I, I, I did a thing, like someone, I saw something on Twitter the other day, like one of the geek uh, websites did a thing. 30 actors who we potentially could see playing Doctor Who. And, like, I wasn't, I didn't make that whole list. And so I was so enraged that I even, like, put a thing on saying, did I not really make that list at all? Uh, I don't think, I mean, I, 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 I don't think it off for me, but... But uh, you would do it. Do. You would do Doctor Who. Yeah, maybe. Fuck it, why not? 
Why the fuck not? Emily asks, what's been your favorite project you have done so far in your career? I know there's a lot, and then that's a tough one, but the one that really comes to mind. Um, okay, so Into the Badlands was amazing. I really love doing fighting with my family with Stephen Merchant. I, and I love Stephen, uh, too. To... I love him. He's such a great guy. He oh was on my the God, podcast. He's great. Every, all the cast was amazing. We all wrestled. It was just like, do you know when you, it's just like, you know when you hit a tennis ball perfectly and you can't feel it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, yeah, this is fucking great. We could improvise. We could do what we want. And there was kind of, I loved it. It was great. It was like a love, I got to have a mohawk as well. It was like I a loved lovely it. three months. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed that a lot. That was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Uh, what was I going to say? Oh, Omar. I love The World's End. Any funny stories behind the scenes to that? Uh, funny story. Fucking hell. I mean, um, I never really wanted to hit the stuntmen when we were doing the fights. I didn't like hitting them. <laughs> and then, like, Edgar's kind of a sadist. So, like, he'd come over just before, like, when we were doing the fight scenes and stuff. He'd say, hey, listen, I really want you to hit him this time. Really got to hit him. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, and so, like, and then, you know, there'd be, you'd see him, like, laying on the floor and having, like, smelling salts and, and then, yeah, I kind of got my, like, Brad Allen, who, who did a lot of the fighting, uh, who sadly died recently, you know, um, he, he was, uh, one of, um, Jackie Chan's guys, you know, and he gave me the nickname, the White Samo Hung, and, uh, I don't think I'll ever forget that. You don't like watching your uh, your stuff, do you? You know, I mean, it's, what's the point? I mean, because sometimes you're really funny and you could be like, wow, you know, I'm really good in that. I'm, I'm enjoying what I did in this. Yeah. Okay. I mean, look, I mean, there are, I watched bits, I watched little bits and pieces and I think, okay, that's cool. Or, you know, I did, um, I did a, we made a show called Truth Seekers a couple of years ago. Yep. And that was the first thing I'd ever watched when I saw like the assembly for episode one. That was the first thing I ever watched all the way through and didn't cry <laughs> in terms of saying, oh my God, what have you done? You know, I'm just being hypercritical. And again, that's that thing. It's like, I'd rather not watch myself and put myself through. So I can't change it now. It's done. You know, you made that choice artistically and you have to live with that. Even though I know secretly, it's, it's pretty good. You're pretty fucking good. You know? Yeah. You know you're good. There's a confidence in that. Yeah, yeah, some, yeah, sometimes, yeah. What's the one? I mean, doing, yeah, go doing, ahead. doing Why Women Kill with Alison Tolman and stuff, there was lots of lovely acting there, you know. I was like, there was a few times working with older actors who come in to do, like, smaller characters who were, like, proper Broadway actors. And and also, I did a, I did a film with a, a TV show with Olivia Coleman a while ago. And, like, me and her got to do, like, a fucking 12-page drama scene together. It was like... You have that thing where you just—I was watching it, and I was like, "Oh, this is fucking, this is great," you know. But that, 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 those are the things; those are the things I have to hang on to when I hate acting, you know, because it takes so much out of me mentally in terms of, "Oh, I'm having to do a diarrhea now. I can't <laughs> sleep. I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'm not going to know my dialogue. I'm right. shit. I'm, you know." It really takes it out of me in terms of of of, of mentally, you know. Yeah. But of course, once you get on there and you've done that first rehearsal and you haven't fucked your dialogue up and everything's fine, and then you just start firing as the day goes, you're like, yeah, this is fucking what I pay my money for. 
So many actors have that. We have that thing where we're shitting our pants. I'm nervous. I can't do this. I don't know why they're going to find out the truth about me. I suck. And then, yeah. then you get on set and you do it a couple of times and then you start to forget about that and you are able to relax a little more. But it's like, but why yeah. do we go through this same shit? Why can't we just be like those actors you were talking about that are just fucking just do it and not worry about it. I, I'll never be that yeah. guy. I don't think I'll ever be that guy. I got to accept it. Yes. Yeah. And there's something, there's something there that comes with that level of acceptance in terms of this is my way, this is what I do, and this is how I do it, and it works for me, you know? Yeah. Do you want to be challenged? Do you want to be challenged more? Do you feel like you could, like, do, like, a World War II drama and not be funny at all, just be really dark and, and just... Oh, move? my God. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'd, lo I'd love to, you know? I'd love to do that. I mean, I think... Um, what well, I don't know. I feel like I'm going to say something that I don't know, but I just feel like I don't know. I'd like to follow a kind of. I don't. I don't know what I'm saying, but uh, yeah, of course I would. Uh, it's uh, it's a child. I like acting, you know. I like it. I like I like feeling these things, you know. I like making people believe that I'm this and I feel that, you know. That's that's a real skill, I think. Do you think you'll ever start your own restaurant, have your own restaurant, have your own thing? Yeah. You do? <laughs> no, I fuck that. It's too much like hard work. I don't know, man. The amount you cook and the you could just see the passion flowing through the internet. You could just see it. But it's a lot. You've got to be there all day. You've got to be there, you know. But if I, you know what? Sometimes I think if I could do, find that one thing, like I sometimes think about, I'm going to use an American term, like a smash burger. Right, right. And fucking just do that. Right. Two wafer-thin patties with American cheese, <laughs> fried onions, and a nice bun. It's like, boom, five pound a pop. Frost's Burgers. Frost's Burgers. What would the title be? Don't Choke. Don't Choke Burgers. Yeah. Oh, I like that. That's it's in your... your... One, one in eight of our burgers have a tooth in. <laughs> Oh my god! Hey, this has been awesome, man. I hope you enjoyed this. This I really feel like I got to know you. Like we we've always, we've talked a few times and this and that, but I really I appreciate you opening up. And what what do you got going on next? Anything that we can look forward to? Well, look, we've just had a baby, so I mean, fortunately, <laughs> I'm in a position where I can say I would like five months off now. You know, COVID <laughs> certainly helped with that. So yeah, listen, we me and my girlfriend are at a point where. We do the same thing every single day. <laughs> and it's been that for three months, you know. And we're just in a we're just in a vibe where we're just it's just parenting. And there's something quite nice in that too. You know, so um I read a book, I read a kid's book, which I'm editing now. Um, and then I paint a lot too. So I've got a few big things coming across to LA to show in a gallery and bits and pieces. Can you know? people buy your work? Can they buy your yeah, art? Where yeah, where, where can they buy your art? Um, to be TBC, I'm between galleries right now. But okay, but, good. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to. I'm working out some stuff, but I I really love painting. So yeah, you know, I love it. Last, lastly, uh, can I just say something? Yeah, I the thing that I liked about you, Michael, when we met uh, in, when we did Australia. Is I just kind of loved your naughtiness from the get-go, <laughs> and it's kind of rare in 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 humans that you just meet someone and you just get them straight away. 
And I think that's why I've always had a keen affinity and uh, a fondness for you because I'm like, yeah, I'm in. Well, I look, man, I love you. I really appreciate that. And I, I felt the same way. In fact, my buddy Tom, who was there with me, said, tell Nick I said hi, but he won't remember me. But still, you have that sort of presence that people gravitate towards. I, I, I just wanted to be around you. You're, you're such a likable. Uh, well, well, you're such a likable guy. I really innately just feel that way about you. And I I liked you all, right off the bat. And I was like, I, I want to hang with this guy. How can I hang <laughs> with him? He's just, I just feel like you still do that thing every now and again, where I don't know if you remember, but you went, you'd take that guy's microphone and then you'd activate the PA and the whole convention. You'd say supernova. Uh, We say that a lot. (laughs) Supernova. Yeah. Supernova was a convention we did in Australia and I would take the, the mic and just start uh, talking into it and yelling supernova. And uh, they got a kick out of that. But uh, by the way, lastly, a question you've been asked a million times. Will you ever do another movie to add to the Cornetto trilogy? Yeah, I can, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, of course we will. I don't know when, but yeah, we will. I mean, uh, listen, what I say about this, just to close, is I love the fact that when we started making these films, we were 28, 29, and now we're in our 50s, and soon we'll be fucking 60-odd. So I, it's, a, it's, it's really rare that you get to see characters age with the actors. Yeah, and I think we, we've we've been given a chance to to do that, you know. And I think I think it will be interesting to see what what comes next, you know. Well, I, I've loved this, Ryan. Did you enjoy this? Ryan's my engineer over there that you can't see. It's, hey, Ryan. <laughs> hey, Nick. This was great. This hey, has man. been fantastic. Yeah, thank you so uh, much, well, man. I'll I'll be in touch with you, and I really appreciate you you doing this for me. This is uh, this has been a real treat for me, man. Yeah, listen, thank you, mate. I appreciate it. Yeah, give Haley my love, will you? Thanks, man. I'll see you later. Lots of love. Bye. Lots of love. I mean, a lot happened in the episode. I mean, he really talked about how he moved in with Simon Pegg, how he had no money, how his sister passed away at a young age. Uh, He was a big drinker. He was, uh, you know, he'd be content having a food truck, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Um, Just a genuine guy, man. I I, I really enjoyed having Nick on the podcast, and uh, I hope you did, too. So if you like this podcast, please subscribe on YouTube or Stitcher or Apple or Spotify. Um, you can follow us again at Inside You Podcast on um, Instagram and Facebook and at mm-hmm. Inside you Pod on the Twitter. Uh, I really appreciate all of you listening. And uh, thank, thank Nick Frost for being on the podcast. That was great. He's calling us from lovely London. Lovely or, London. Or whatever hell he, where he was. Boggy London town. Yeah. In London, um, if you want to uh, shop on the inside of you, go to the inside of you online store. We've got uh, we've got inside of you uh, mugs. We've got inside of you shirts. We've got uh, Lex Luthor pictures to sign. We've got uh, some small the lunch boxes left, mm-hmm. and uh, the band um, the band is Sunspin. If you go to sunspin.com, uh, you can look up for upcoming shows. And you could also get some really cool swag. There's some really great merch. You could book a Zoom with me and Rob and chat with us and uh, all, all that sort of stuff. So thank you. And again, if you want to join Patreon, patreon.com slash inside of you. I can't thank these guys enough who give back to the podcast and keep us afloat. Let me read off their names. Do it. Nancy. D. Leah. S. Trisha. F. Sarah. V. Little. Lisa. U. Kiko. Jill. E. Brian. H. Mama Lauren. G. Nico P Jerry W Robert B 
Jason. W. Kristen. K. Amelia. O. Allison. L. Raj. C. Joshua. D. Emily. S. CJ. P. Damn, you're good, dude. Samantha. M. Jennifer. N. Stacy. L. Jen. <sighs> Take a wild guess. C. S. Yes, that's correct. Jamal F. Janelle B. Kimberly E. Mike E. Eldon Supremo. 99 more. Ramirez Santiago. M. M is correct. Sarah F. Chad W. Leanne. P. Janine. R. Maya. P. Maddie. <laughs> um, S. Yes. Belinda. Uh, N. Chris. F. No, H. H. And Dave. Who's, who's between that? Dave H. Yes. Uh, Spider-Man. Uh, two. No. <laughs> Chase. Yes. <laughs> Sheila. Um, G. Correct. Brad. D. Ray. A. Ch. Correct. Tabitha. T. Liliana. M. A. A. Michelle. B. K. K. Michael S. Talia M. Betsy D. Claire M. Laura L. Chad L. Rochelle. Nathan E. Marion. Meg K. Janelle P. Trav L. Dan L. Dan N. Big Stevie W. Angel M. Rhiannon C. Corey K. Super Sam. Coleman G. Deb Nexon. Michelle A. Liz I. Jeremy C. Andy T. Cody R. Sebastian K. Gav. Benader. Correct. David C. John B. Brandy D. Yavor. Yavor is correct. Camille. Ian. S. All right. Bono. The C. The C. Mm -hmm. Or LC in Spanish. Joey M. Willie F. Christina E. Adelaide N. Jeffrey M. Omar I. Lena N. Design OTG. Eugene and Leah. Chris P. Nikki G. Corey. KTB. Patricia and Maria N. And oh, is it Marla? Is that Marla N? I think it's Marla. Uh oh. I'm going to say Marla N and Maria N just oh. in case. All right. But uh, hey, guys. Thanks for thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for tuning in. Um, gosh, I, I wish I had more to say, but I really don't. Other than um, another fun podcast, another fun interview for me. I'm hope hopefully you uh, you enjoyed it yourselves. And uh, from myself, Michael Rosemont, I'm here in the Hollywood Hills of California. Myself, Ryan Tails. <laughs> <laughs> we love you guys. Thank you for joining us and spending some time with us. Thank you for allowing me to be inside of each and every one of you. Be good to yourself. Please be good to yourself. I'm going to try and be good to myself. Let's breathe. <sighs> Take care. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.